Hello and welcome to the Rem Atmos podcast. This episode is with my friend Justin Sanderson. He is a practitioner of magic, the occult, and has a fascination with all things cryptic and esoteric. I hope this episode will inspire you, or at the very least, challenge you. Let's get into it. So, you want to introduce yourself? Sure, I sure do. Um, my name's Justin Sanderson. I, uh, I think Rem invited me to this podcast because I, I'm an occultist and we had a very riveting conversation after catching up last night. And uh, that's mainly my hobby. I think that's the, the best way to introduce myself would be to say that I'm very into the esoterics and uh, especially community organizations as it pertains to the esoteric, which is my big thing right now with Jacksonville Magic Witchcraft and Occult Community. Yeah. But uh, besides that, I do I do visual art, I do leadership training, but uh, that's my primary hobby, I'd say, is, is occultism and Western esotericism, as well as just all spiritualities in general. It's my obsession. Yes, I mean, it's all super fascinating. And uh, yeah, we had an awesome conversation yesterday, man, like some really deep stuff that I definitely want to like retouch up on, like here. I was like, give a, give a lot of ideas for like what we could talk about, honestly. So what questions did you have about what we talked about last night? Um, well, I had a few. Uh, I guess first thing I wanted to mention was that there was that you said it was like an FBI meditation. Oh, yeah. yeah um, I wrote down a little the bit. The gateway meditations. Gateway meditations. So, um, yeah, could you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, so I, I recently much. stumbled into them. I'm no expert on them, from, but from what I understand, um, they were utilized during the remote viewing experiments with the CIA throughout the 50s and 60s. And so afterward, the guy that had published this gateway experience um, kind of took his, his notes and his consultations and the work that he had developed from this course and published them so that he had something to work with. Okay. And the terms out-of-body experience and the um, novelization of the idea of binaural beats came out of that research. So it's really interesting to look back on wow. and say, you know, yeah, two major things that we're familiar with now were right. first coined during his work with the CIA this and later it, published. This makes it pretty big, honestly. That's really awesome. Yeah, I forget his name. Let me look it gives it a lot of significance. It really makes you think about, uh, you know, how much that influenced the New Age or spiritualist philosophies of people that came afterward. If this was so uh, influential as to come up with the term out-of-body experience, with every, everybody's familiar with that term now. Oh, it's yeah. a household term. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> every, every, um, every cool household, for sure. <laughs> well, I'm sure everybody has heard of the term uh, out-of-body experience at this point. And that was yeah. first coined out of, uh, I think, a later book that he had done. Oh, cool. What was his name? Let me look it up real quick. Yeah, absolutely. Feel free to research stuff if necessary. Robert A. Monroe. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the out-of-body experience, that term first came out of a book that he had published called Journeys Out of the Body. Okay. So I, I didn't really get to do the meditation uh, as, I, as I was hoping to today. I've just been super busy. However, um, I did like a little slight meditation um, and like listened to it a little bit just through my phone speaker. Um, I did notice that it does require headphones because there's mm -hmm. a, uh, left and right panning going on. Um, and yeah, it, it was very interesting. Um, 
the the guy speaking he, he was speaking here and there um he sounded like he would be somebody who would read an audiobook uh like had that kind of voice um the beginning started with a lot of bleeps and bloops yeah it's it, it becomes very consistent too as you listen to them i i've been a long time meditator and i was mm. very impressed with how it made me feel throughout the course of the meditations with the Gateway Project. Mm -hmm. And uh, even just doing the first one, I, I told you yesterday, it made me feel like I uh, got hit with a ton of breaks or something. Like I woke back up and I was like, whoa, wow. I did not expect that out of a guided meditation for 40 minutes. Wow. And considering its background and um, how well thought out it is with like the binaural beats, and he calls it hemi-sync, which is where I don't really understand how it works, but how do you, how do you spell that? H E M I. Yeah, like S Y. H E M I dash sync S Y N C. Right. Okay. Hemi sync. So he plays these two. Like he gets binaural beats on the left and right audio channels, and and the way they interact for some reason should cause your brain to meet in the middle mm -hmm. in its processing, and uh, this this allows your brain to I guess kind of operate at the same wavelength at the same time, instead of trying to differ in its calculations or whatever it's processing. And it seems to work. I don't really understand exactly how it works, but it does seem to work when you go through the meditation because your brain ends up in this unilateral channel. Wow. That's really fascinating. That's, and that's not so much from what you've read, but that's from, that's experiential, what you're saying here. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. So like, that's kind of like what it felt like it was doing, I guess, kind of, right? Yeah, it definitely, you can feel the impacts of it very easily, which I find to be the most, uh, like, proof of claim as mm -hmm. far as the whole gateway process goes. I think they're remarkable guided meditations for sure. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah, I noticed there was a lot of um, sort of... Uh, like sounds of like waves, I guess, like uh, yeah, like ocean waves. You start with the waves, and then you go into this sort of um, guided meditation where you you put your troubles in a chest, and you do different things in each meditation. And oh, then wow! So there's like a visualization uh, to it, right? Yeah, there's definitely that component to it. And then as you get later and later, you do additional things in the meditation, or you stack up kind of what the meditations were, and you become more and more progressive on that front. So instead of just doing one thing where you put your worries into a chest, with the second track you end up putting, or you, you do uh, like a energy shielding and then you get to this and that, you know, and all these things that you use to lead up to this state of awareness while your body is asleep. And it almost feels like distractions to me, honestly. Like you're doing, you're doing these distractions to then get yourself into the state where you're perfectly asleep and your mind goes to sleep and then you come back up. Just enough to be conscious, which is the real impressive wow. thing out of these tracks. How would you describe the state that it gets you in? Uh, transcendental is a word that they use to describe the meditation a lot, which is that it's transcendental meditation along with hypnosis. But I would definitely say that the word transcendental is an appropriate descriptor of the entire experience that you go through when you get through the met that gateway experience. What is the purpose of it? Like okay, so the purpose of it was originally he worked with the CIA to produce a curriculum which would get people to have remote viewing experiences or out-of-body experiences which they could then use to remote view. 
And the idea with, of course, any sort of like intelligence agency is to acquire intelligence through remote viewing. So, you know, your spirit would leave your body and you would go and you would observe, you know, the, the Soviet Union's nuclear facility and you would report back things that you saw about it. And so the CIA was pushing to see if this was legitimate or not. And it seems like they found that it was slightly legitimate and so they kept pursuing this until eventually they either dropped it or it just disappeared at a public record. So um, this was instrumental, and I, I guess Robert Monroe didn't end up working with the CIA for very long because afterward he published his stuff and you know went on his own route. Right. Well, all that all that became public information. Yeah. 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 I, he I, left and published it. I find that really cool. That um, well, I find it. I find it. I guess I find it kind of funny that um, this is what happens when the government gets a hold of yoga. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. Really. It's like weaponized we're gonna, yoga. Yeah. Weaponized yoga. Yeah. 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 <laughs> People in India would be like, of course, of course of they course. do that. Of course they weaponize it. Of course, they <laughs> lead it to America. I think it's really funny that they, I, I wouldn't expect the American government to use meditation for spying. Like, I, I, I would think they wouldn't believe in that stuff. I'm surprised you haven't heard of it because it's one of the most popular um, of the CIA projects, like with astral projection, remote viewing, the CIA's remote viewing projects. They even, um, what was the film? Uh, the Men Who Stare at Goats is about this intelligence sort of directive to get good at remote viewing in a time where it's competitive between the Soviet Union and the US to figure out who can become the best at remote viewing very quickly. Wow. You, you said uh, that, that's a book? Uh... It's a movie. Oh, it's a yeah, it was a, a book that was adapted into a movie, if I remember correctly. The Men Who Stare at Goats. They were like wow. government-employed psychics. And uh, the story That's is really so cool. funny, but the basis is the, these intelligence services remote viewing projects. Wow. That's so fascinating, dude. It's really funny. Like, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's just a whole era in history. Yeah. I, there's so, much, so many cool things that I should know but don't know. And this is one of those. And... Um, yeah, man. I, I always expect that when I'm talking to you, I'm gonna I'm gonna hear something really cool, something new. Yeah, that's a fun one to look into and see how seriously they took it, because if they can take it that seriously, of course we can get that sort of hit about. Okay, well, it really is possible to take it that far. Yeah. Wow. I don't know. I have some sort of um, belief in like just kind of more like the energetic stuff. Like, would it be like energetically good? I guess to immerse myself in. Um, I'll definitely have to try it and see how I feel. Like really pay attention to that. I think it's worthwhile. I think that it was the work was developed probably in association with the CIA or some other intelligence agency. But what was published is is pretty translucent. I mean, there's nothing antagonistic about it. You can see where it goes. You can you're aware of the entire time when you listen to it. So it's not like. You're being hypnotized for, you know, some sort of covert government agenda. But I thought about that, too, when I was going through it. Like, is this really the end of the road? Is it going to be good for me? But I believe... Right. Is there it something, is. like, happening, like, below the surface, maybe a little more, like, subconscious that might be, like, yeah, energetically harmful, I guess? Willing hypnosis is a big part of the Gateway Project as well, and the meditations. Mm -hmm. So uh, you, you have to be willing to be hypnotized. Uh, yes. Or feel like you are, and uh, I was somebody that uh, I'd never felt like I could be hypnotized, but but these did a good job of doing it, and that's why I was so impressed with but the you overall. You had a willingness, though. Yeah, I've had a willingness, but I never felt hypnotized at all. 
But these were a little different. I, I did fail actually hypnotize, which was cool. That's really cool, man. Yeah. So what else did we talk about last night? Um, one thing that I could recall, I actually only wrote one other thing, but we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out as we go. So there was the, um, you did um, some rituals uh, with a certain type of being. It was like another word for demon, right? Goetic. Goetic. Yeah. Uh, could you please tell me about that? Like, yes. So goetic entities are pretty popular. If you, if you ever look into any sort of occultism, uh, you'll find people that like evoke or summon up demons, right? And the demons that they're referring to, almost unilaterally, are these things called the Goetia. And so the Goetia have their root in this, I think it's late 1600s or, or maybe early 1700s grimoire, which is alleged to be written by Solomon. And if you're familiar with the story of Solomon, he utilized the demons and his power over them to build the first temple of Jerusalem. So within the canon, it's there already that you too can muster up this power and command the demons. And so it seems pretty true, but in my mm -hmm. philosophical approach to this, I don't really think that mythological approach is accurate. Because even though we're conjuring up the demons and commanding them like Solomon would have, it's more like like I mentioned to you last night, like a genie spirit or a jinn and... Genies are also known as jinn, right? Yes, so a certain type of jinn is a genie. Okay. And they seem to have similar characteristics with these daemons, or, you know, Greek interpretation of helper spirit, that they like to be evoked... It sounds way better when you, when you call them help, helper spirits. Demon, of course, is a, it has a bad connotation to it, right? Exactly, yeah. but the, the literal legends of demons are based on some of these exact same daemons. So these daemons became canonized by the Catholic Church as being these evil hellfire figures. And that's not really true. Like, when you evoke them and you get to know them, even occultists um, give them a reputation of being like fire and brimstone, tortuous and evil, or wow. mean-spirited. I, I suppose that's part of the aesthetic of being an occultist, perhaps, right? Yes. Yeah. A lot of... Not, not all occultists have to adhere to that aesthetic, but I guess it's like... Many occultists like that, I guess. Well, it serves a dual purpose, I think, for a lot of occultists in sort of the old world mentality of uh, Western esotericism, mm -hmm. which is that it's an effective gatekeeping technique, too, because oh. it's a really, like, once you get to it, it's a really easily accessible form of magic, which is very powerful. Yeah. And you can't just, in, in their minds, you can't just let everybody have access to this. Right. Because if they did, then what else do you have to teach them? You don't have you don't have a pyramid structure if you just give out all your secrets it, it immediately. Gives, it gives you power. Yeah. You know? It, withholding the information gives you power. It, and so gatekeeping was a big part of the old world esotericism and all the and the only way you could learn it back then was to get a part of these groups and these organizations or covens or whatever. And nowadays that's not really current anymore. You can go on the internet and get together with people who are all interested in finding out how this stuff works without being part of a group. And the internet's great for that. It's yeah. fantastic. It's fantastic. Yeah. It, it brings, changed everything. brings everybody together. Somebody who otherwise without the internet would feel fully alone in this world. You know, maybe they don't know anyone. You know, they realize really how uh, non-alone they actually are. Exactly. And you can pursue your passions without having to get involved in groups like this. So, you know, it's... Yeah. Now, I was born in 1993, and perhaps that's like just part of the world that I live in. But I think before that, thinking back on it and like reflecting on why these attitudes are so like 
just dominating of the sphere, I think that it's because of stuff like that. Like gatekeeping was an inherent part of the process before the internet. And the world just haven't adapted with it. And so they still try to do this gatekeeping thing, but they don't know why they're doing this gatekeeping thing. They're saying, oh, well, magic is dangerous. Well, why is it dangerous? Well, because there are risks. And it's like, well, what risks are there? Well, there are people they have serious things happen. Monkey's paw, right? Monkey's paw. And that's it. It never goes beyond monkey's paw. What if you do a spell and it comes back on you and you ruin your life? And it's like, how many people have you known that have ruined their life from doing magic? Sounds like a little bit of like a trying to, trying to use fear a little bit there. Exactly. Well, I, I haven't known anybody that ruined their life from magic, but okay. So why, <laughs> why is it a thing? Like we, none of us know anybody who have had this monkey's paw situation. Come well, what back. is, what is monkey's paw? You don't, the, the story of the monkey's paw? No, I, I'm actually not familiar. Um, God, this is what is it? Um, I don't remember where the origin of the story is. I really should. I, it's just been, it's such a classical work of, I think, literature. Mm. Um, anyways, the monkey's paw is it grants your wishes. However, when it grants your wishes, it basically, um, gives you some sort of negative thing that goes along with it. So let's say you want a million dollars, right? So yeah. it kills your parents Jesus. and your inheritance from your parents is a million dollars. That's the monkey's ball. Oh, that's, that's fucking devious. Exactly. That's fucked up. Um, oh, so that's like a, an expression to express something that's like a, you get what you want, but you get it through really unfortunate means. Gotcha. So that's kind of what, what that's referring to. When you get your instant it. karma. You know, that's brutal because you, you can't just have something like that. So, so, so uh, some occultists who are trying to gatekeep and use fear will, will try to scare with monkey's paw uh, scenarios. Yes, they to... leverage their authority with the idea of the monkey's paw. Wow. Which isn't true. No, it's not. One thing uh, that you and I have in common definitely is, uh, well, I'm not an occultist. I, I do understand uh, a good bit, uh, a little bit about magic. Um, please, uh, how would you describe magic? Well, I would describe magic is the, it's like an art form like we talked about, so it's not a science. And I think that's a common misconception is that it's a science like engineering, and I don't think that's true. I think that it's an art, just like painting. Mm -hmm. However, this art, what it does is it bends coincidence or causes coincidence to occur in a timely manner, which would otherwise seem unnatural. So mm -hmm. if I need something to occur six days from now in a very specific format. So let's take, for example, you know, I need to have an opportunity present itself within the rest of the week. Okay. Then you would put it out there that you want this, what would otherwise appear to be universal coincidence occur within the next seven days. And when that coincidence occurs, you take it, you move on with it, and you do whatever you need to do with it. But you didn't feel like that coincidence was warranted enough to happen on its own or be left to chance. Mm -hmm. And so you sort of put your intention and your will on top of this coincidence to occur. And I found that to be very true. A lot of people will not have that interpretation or explanation. And they will even fight the idea that it's related to coincidence at all. But to me, it doesn't seem anything other than that. Like mm -hmm. we are causing a specific coincidence to occur at a specific time or within a certain range that's beneficial to us. Maybe this is a semantic thing, but um, yeah. 
it appears as a coincidence, but I mean, it's not because you are, you're, you're, I remember you've called uh, magic before uh, manipulating chance or something like that. Exactly. Right. Could it really be called coincidence then? Well, it's the manipulation of the thing that we think of as coincidence. Right, right, right. Um, I guess people who would be non-believers in magic would call it coincidence. Right. So the idea of coincidence, like when we talk about things like synchronicity, right? Yesterday we were talking about, you see, 666 or 999 all the time. Um, Specifically 66 or 909 on the clock. There you go. Yeah. So these are coincidences that happen over and over again. Mm -hmm. But you see these coincidences at a higher rate of chance, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. you know that it's not just chance that these are occurring. You say something is happening here that it's occurring at higher frequencies. Mm-hmm. And I don't have, I'm not going to lie to you and tell you I have the exact explanation for why this occurs, which many other people will. But <laughs> there's something that operates there, right? Like there's something that produces these higher than average levels of chance, which cause these coincidences to occur. Largely still not really, really fully understood by by anyone. No. If anybody understood it, I think they would be able to weaponize it. Just like oh god, the out of body experience stuff, you know? If you really understand it, and that's kind of what magic is, is that you have a, a solid enough grasp of what can cause these coincidences to occur that yeah. you can kind of put them out in the universe. But I don't think anybody really has a a really good scientific explanation for why they occur. I feel that makes it all the more fascinating, even. Definitely. It's it's leagues beyond what we're currently able of explaining, I think. An element of uh, mystery and uh, wonder in that. I love that. Definitely. Yeah, but I suppose it, through experience, you learn to get a feel and it becomes very intuitive and you, uh, I'm sure you can uh, use it to your advantage quite uh, with ease, that's, with time. That's definitely the idea behind magic. I feel like many people have different ways of approaching the same problem, but it's kind of like having different philosophies on how to make a painting. At the end of the day, everybody's making a unique painting. Everybody's making, you know, whatever they want to decide to paint. And there's no right way to go about it. And to try to force people into camps and say, well, this is the only way you can paint is really limiting the art form. And you see that a lot nowadays, especially with the gatekeeping aspect from, from the old world. So you gotta do it this way, or you gotta be safe about it. You should be safe, right? Don't uh, paint this way, don't paint that way. But painting is such a perfect metaphor for it because Everybody's got their own approach to it, and at the end of the day, what does it really matter if it works? That's the big question. What does it matter if it works at the end of the day? As long as it works, that's really, uh, I suppose that's really all that matters if we're talking about practicality, functionality. Yeah, if you can get it to work, that's an art. Yeah, of course, wanting to understand how it works, of course, that's more so uh, for our own curiosities and... Yeah, it's it's a mechanical question, right? What is the mechanics behind this that allows it to work? And I just don't think that we're going to be capable within our lifetimes of grasping that mechanic. It's something to do with consciousness, like we talked about. Like, we're seeing it demonstrated through quantum random number generators and our ability for our thoughts to influence those. But it's just, it's not going to complete the circuit. I mean, maybe it will in our lifetime. I don't know. But if... if uh Knowledge and technology continues to increase at the seemingly maybe exponential rate that it's moving at. Who knows, right? 
in yeah. a few decades. Who knows? I think we've already got a pretty substantial body of research with like the quantum random number generators. I don't know if you looked about like looked into that, but we talked about that last night. Yeah, we talked about. Uh, could you? I'd uh, to hear about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's some body of research being done, and it's kind of fledgling, but. Quantum random number generators are really interesting. So quantum random number generators are basically some of the random chaos of the universe is put into a, a thing that quantifies it on a numerical value, right? Right. And so, like you've got one out of Australia National University that constantly runs a quantum random number generator and you can pull data from it all the time, but other people have developed their own quantum random number generators. Wow. Anyways, so when you when you look at these things, I think it was I think it was Princeton. I don't I don't know exactly. I'd have to look it up. But there was one uh, very credible scientific body that started doing an experiment to see if thoughts could influence quantum random number generators, and they found that you could. What was the university? I think it was Princeton, but I'm not. That's what I recall. Hundred percent sure. Night. It's uh, there. There's a documentary on it that has highlighted on it. And uh, it's it's like consciousness. I don't I don't remember what it is. So if I say it, I'm gonna you know give it bad credence. But it's a little consciousness research study group, and they use quantum random number generators. And what they found was that they you could get a quantum random number generator to trend either up or down based on thoughts applied to it. Somebody staring at it, trying to get it to go up or down, could get it to go up or down. It wouldn't be like maybe instantaneous, but it would be like. Over time, you would notice that the the average of getting that number would be higher, right? Exactly. That kind of thing. It wouldn't yep. be like focused and all of a sudden it changes, but you would no. just... But just a gradual trend in this direction. Yeah. And it was okay. definitely more than what you would expect out of randomness because it, it makes a, a physical graph going up into the likelihood of getting this number. And uh, wow. one of the practical things that they had developed out of this technology was that you could get a, a lamp to change color based on people's thoughts. And the wow. thoughts had no connection. It wasn't like uh, some of the initial mind interface technology that we have that is like available in children's toys and stuff. It's not brain interface. It's literally just like somebody staring at a lamp, getting it to change a different color. And they mapped it to a quantum random number generator. And the quantum random number generator seemed to a mold with the thoughts to get it to turn a separate color. So maybe they mapped it on the number generator as being a two, but when the person focused on the lamp and they said blue, I want it to turn blue, then the higher likelihood of it being two would increase and it would jump to the map that it has already, which is two is blue and it would turn blue. Right, it maps each number to a color. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the person would Think of a color, right? Or they would they say it? I guess it doesn't really matter. No, they would just think of it. Like they yeah, would yeah, just yeah. think, I want the lamp to turn this color. Mm -hmm. And they wanted it to turn blue. And it doesn't matter what it's programmed to be associated with in the quantum random number generator data. Regardless, blue will become higher in average. Yes, the universe will figure it out from randomness being produced to the color being produced in the lamp. The in-between is handled by the universe. It, it will just do it automatically. God, yeah, yeah the in-between had me a little confused. But yeah, you got to understand it and apply it. <laughs> it's okay, crazy, though. That's really fascinating, man. Wow. Yeah, that was another thing we talked about last night. Um, where'd you hear about this? It was on a documentary I watched. I don't remember exactly which one it was, but... 
if, if anybody's listening and they've seen it too, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about because they cover all this in it. And I, I looked it up and their data is kind of questionable, but I don't really believe that it's questionable because eventually somebody's going to be able to do it better. Mm-hmm. And they're going to demonstrate it even better because it's not hoax data. Like it's it's a body of research that's coming together. Some people are calling it questionable, right? Yes. Um, um, they had actually. I, I'm not going to do it justice, but they had done an experiment yeah. with quantum random number generators as well, where they put a plant in a corner of a room, and they let the quantum random number generator decide which corner of the room the UV light would shine on. And they found that above average, the light would select the corner of the room that had the plant growing in it. That shows some serious intelligence of the universe. Or the plant is influencing the randomness of the universe oh, yeah, the to favor like, right. the, that it gives it life. The plant's like, yo, I need some UV light over here. Exactly. I'm going to die if this randomness doesn't work in my favor, so I need the randomness to work in my favor. That's so cool. Wow. Actually, I hadn't heard about that one yet. That's so. That's awesome. a good one to Google. If you Google that, you'll find the uh, research institute that did the the lamp. Wow. Do you, do you spend a lot of time looking and trying to find new concepts and things that are being researched, or how often do you read into this stuff? I guess is what I'm trying to ask. I would say frequently. I th- I think for a lot of people that become interested in like esotericism or occultism, it becomes an obsession. And I mean, really, like that's the only. It's the only thing I'm interested in. Like, having small talk with people, very boring. Finding something which makes you think and question the exact nature of the universe that you've been exposed to your entire life, that's what I'm looking for. So I'm always looking for stuff like that, that just questions what it means to be in the universe or things that are related to consciousness technology. Because I feel like one of the next big emerging fields, just like with these quantum random number generators, is consciousness technology. Mm. I don't know if you if you get into alien stuff a lot, but I do. I like aliens. And it seems like aliens universally use some sort of consciousness technology, which means that we probably should be able to develop the same technology at some point. When you say consciousness technology, what do you mean exactly? So consciousness... Technology a pretty broad term, right? Is some sort of interfacing which works with the consciousness that you can develop, you know, uh, computers to work alongside consciousness or to take commands mm-hmm. from consciousness. Okay, so like the random number generator. Uh, yeah. And us being able to influence it. That might be like a primitive version of conscious technology. So if you if you push that along by a thousand years, you know, can you fly a ship? Ooh, wow. Can you fly a ship with consciousness? I'm sure in a thousand years, I wouldn't be too surprised. It wouldn't be too crazy, right? Like you could fly an airplane with consciousness. So, wow. It doesn't seem unreasonable to me, given that this little primitive version of conscious interaction is going on in laboratories like this, that, you know, it would be ridiculous for an extraterrestrial organism to fly a ship around with conscious technology. So, it doesn't seem crazy to me. Wow. I think definitely if. Uh if planes, for example, were being flied with uh, consciousness technology, mental health would be all the more important. I Yeah, I, I think so. I'm not sure. Because, I mean, mental health could probably much more easily influence, uh, you know, uh, the controls of the plane and everything. Yeah, I would um, think so. If you can't, yeah. like, well, you know. Uh, you yeah, be able to have, like, full dominion and control of your own mind. 
I think a classic one would be um, like attention deficit disorder, right? If you <laughs> if you couldn't focus for long enough, that'd already be bad as a pilot. It'd be probably even worse, I can imagine. You know, that's the if new twenty twenty eyesight. <laughs> you gotta have perfect eyesight. Not anymore. You just you know you gotta be able to focus for long periods of time. Right, right. But it, it's definitely interesting for sure that that possibility is is possible. That's so fascinating, man. I, I know last night. You were telling me about how you got your house, and was it your car also? Yeah, my car and my house. I had. Uh, and it was involving the uh, Go- Goetia. The Goetia, yeah. I, so I had utilized the Goetia to both purchase my house and a car that I had recently bought, and I found it very interesting because I used the same Goetic spirit, which his name was Seer. He's one of the later spirits, but uh, he's very well known within the communities for being quick to answer requests, and that's exactly what I needed a lot of the time with buying a house, so we became fast friends. Cool. But uh, what I was telling you last night was that his method of interaction seems to be the same, and I was I was very privileged to be able to see it twice, but when I had bought my house, I bought it from a, a reseller company, and I'd made them the offer that was like 140, and they said, or I, I made them an offer of like 120, or 132, or three, or something, and I said, you pay repairs, and they said, no, we're only taking asking price, which is 140. And so I shot him back this insulting offer, which was like, how about 120? And they immediately responded within the next day (laughs) and said, yeah, that sounds great. Seems so absurd. And my my realtor was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) I've never seen anything like this in my entire career that you you ask (laughs) $20,000 less and they say yes, immediately. How does this happen? I don't know. Uh, but you mentioned uh, Goetia work in a certain uh, certain style, right? Well, yeah. Style so, of confusion, I suppose, right? Well, it's not like done in a specific style. It just seems like this entity is inclined to doing things oh, oh, in a certain uh, seer, way. Seer, right? Exactly. How do you spell the name? S-E-E-R-E. Seer. S-E-E-R-E. Okay. So I had first been exposed to that through this. And I said, wow, okay, so I, I bought the house. Anyways, a couple of months down the road, I went to go buy a new car, and uh, I, I ended up buying a 2019 Kia Soul at about $12,000, which That's is- far better than my car, like it's, in, in multiple ways, wow. Yeah, it's just crazy. It's Cost definitely anger. way lower than the market value of the car. Nice. And what had happened was I, I did the same ritual this year. I said, hey, I need to be able to get a car tomorrow. So I need to go out in the day and I need to get the car. Sears like you got me working on pretty short notice here. Well, that's that's his specialty is you good throw that. him something and he's very quick with rapid results. That's amazing. So the next day I go out to a dealership and I'm in this special program and so I go through the program, I, I get to this dealership, they try to sell me uh, what was it? I think a three or four year old version of the car, older version of the car yeah. for the same amount, which was 14,000. And I was like, no, 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 that's not going to work. So we go, <laughs> we pick up the other car. We end up working it out. It's 12,000 according to the program. So they say, yeah, absolutely. We'll do it Yeah, just to get the sale through. So the whole thing was crazy, especially because what happened at the car dealership was confusion. Again, they didn't have the car. They weren't even the dealership that had the car. Yeah. They had to go get it from a sister dealership, and then they still honored the price from this car saver program 
which they really shouldn't have even done because they, they, weren't, they weren't even an accredited Wait, dealership. So, so that means that the, um, who they got the car from had to also agree to this. Later, right? yes. It was. It which was adds to the craziness of it, right? When I went to go through financing, it was a pretty big deal because they weren't a dealership that could process the program. Like there should have been a portal that they could have processed it in. So I imagine they had to like do a a financial transfer with the other dealership and say, "Hey, this was our mistake." But they ended up giving me the car for twelve thousand, and that's really phenomenal for a twenty nineteen car. It's amazing. Yeah, it was it was wild. But again, there you get a bunch of confusion, people who don't know what they're doing, and then you end up with this insane discount. So for me, the 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 chance that you would get a coincidence like that both times, yeah. you would get the chaos, the confusion, with the inevitable result coming out in your favor, that you get what you ask for twice after contacting the same entity, that's the sort of thing you want to see when you're mm -hmm. doing successful magical operations. Dude, that's really crazy, man. And uh, same thing with your house, right? Yep, the company that does reselling, so what they do is they buy it at a very low price and then they resell it at market value. So they make like 15, $20,000. So that probably factored into like their decision to just instantly approve it, but it's not a rational decision. Nobody should have ever approved a decision no, like that. No uh, sane person would, right? No, there's no like, there's no situation where somebody walks to the computer and says, okay, market value for this price is 140. Mm -hmm. Should I accept it for $20,000 less just because they asked? <laughs> yes, all right, it's gonna be a go. Like, just an easy, insane- Easy, yes. Then. Yeah, an insane decision to make. Mm -hmm. Somebody got scolded for it, you know? Like, you know oh, sure. somebody did. And I wonder, did what? I wonder what they were thinking after, like, I don't know why I agreed to that. Why did I do that? Yeah, what was they thinking? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if they'd be questioning themselves like that, but I would be. I would be like, what the hell was? What state was I in to make such a crazy decision there? I don't know, but you know, it worked out for me, and that's all that 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 matters. Was was I? And you know, the thing was, the house also had benefits. So, the house um, right. had a new roof. Mm -hmm. They had just done it like three years well, ago. It needed a new roof, right? No. Oh, no, no. Oh, okay, so. Okay. The company that sold it thought it needed a new roof, and it did not. Oh, oh, so it actually was an, it was actually fine. Yes. Oh, that's good. It's a, it's a big impact on value within real estate. Gotcha. So maybe that influenced their decisions? I don't know. But I, I loved the fact that the realtor came back <laughs> afterward and said, I've never seen anything like this in my career. I've never seen somebody just... You give them a twenty thousand dollar less offer, and they say, "Yeah, let's do it." <laughs> no resistance either, right? <laughs> it's like they're resisting this offer, and then you go really low, and they're like, "Yes, yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah." <laughs> Why even respond to the first offer? I mean, my goodness, you would have been better off just getting the one hundred and thirty-three thousand or whatever the first offer was. Oh my god! Silly, silly stuff. That's crazy. Um, so that's that's kind of how this um, this being uh, seer operates, I guess, him yeah. specifically, right? It seems to be so that it causes an, an initial amount of confusion or chaos, and then the end result ends up being in your favor. And that's exactly what you want to see. I mean, it it may not be optimal, right? Like you you want to get it for free, right? But that's unrealistic. You're not going to get a house or a car for free. That would be uh, that'd be very impressive. It would be if that was able to maybe they're able to pull that off. Yeah, I would love to be able to pull that off, but you know, this is just what I've discovered so far. And to be able to pull up a consistent 
phenomena like that and things that really impact my life, that's what it's about, in my opinion. Yeah. To be able to get to a level like that, to consistently execute it. And I'm happy with that. So cool, man. That's awesome. So you talk about Goetia. Goetia is essentially synonymous with daemons or demons. Yeah. Cool. So I can use them interchangeably then. Yeah. So uh, I guess what we call demons, how do those differ from angels? Okay, so that's a pretty good question because Goetics and angels are are very lumped in together, I I would say, nowadays. If anybody's familiar with it, um, the Goetics come in this 72 version. Like, there's 72 Goetia as listed in these old grimoires. Cool. And there's also 72 Shemhemi-4-ish angels, which lends itself out of this book of Exodus and uh, a Judaistic interpretation of angels that are begotten out of this specific verse, which Moses, having parted the Red Sea, they've divided it into like three character increments and added IEL onto the end of them in in most formats. And you get 72 angels out of it. So people, occultists, naturally notice that these overlap very easily. You have Mm -hmm. 72 demons and 72 angels. And so over the last couple of hundreds of years, they've overlaid the, the two, right? And they all have their appropriate astrological symbols and appropriate correspondences. And it's become this entire and holistic system of a demon or daemon compared to its angelic counterpart. Yeah. But uh, just in my... Ex- I, I don't ascribe to that stuff too much. Okay. Like, I, I like it, but I think that experiential experience is, mm-hmm. is you know, chief, of course. Right. So I've worked with angels, too. Like I said yesterday, mm-hmm. demons are kind of more like your grandma that goes, well, you know what, let's just buy you a new tire and we'll send you down the road, no problem. And angels are more of the ones that are like, yes, I will grant that for you, but you must suffer and you must work for it. And you will learn and become a greater person by the end of this journey. Sounds like demons are like the grandma who spoils you and then the other one is the uh, you know the parent that wants you to uh, learn a valuable lesson. Exactly. That's I think exactly the difference of these entities. Wow. And um, <laughs> you know another thing you, I'd like... You've noticed this through experience, right? Really? Yeah. That, that this is kind of their nature? I yes. Guess, of the two different types? Definitely. Contacting angels is definitely uh, more transcendental, just like those meditations, right? There's something singing to you from beyond the confines of the cosmos. And demons are more like us. Like, they're very similar to us. And um, I think there's a lot of preconceptions about the way that they should be. Yeah. But once you get into doing evocations of them, it becomes very different, and you have to just address what they are. Mm-hmm. And so when you think of, as like maybe somebody listening to this, the concept of summoning an angel or a demon, it's very different than the reality of summoning an angel or a demon. Not because it's more extreme or you have to handle it differently, but because it's underwhelming. <laughs> not what you'd expect at all. Not not as intense or crazy. Right. I mean, it's, it's like you summon up a demon and if you're nice and you're just interested in learning or, you know, getting them to do something, it's very placid and tranquil. It's not... Uh, it's not extreme at all. Actually, through my experience, I, I never was involved in any daemon summonings uh, just because of my own conflictions with yeah. that. Uh, I did have, I believe, two rituals perhaps with you, uh, angel summoning uh, rituals. 
really, it didn't really seem like much happened, really. Yeah. But I was involved in a couple of them. Uh, essentially, we would write on a, each write on our own pieces of paper, I guess, things that we wished for, I suppose, uh, and would burn it in a little, little pot or whatever it was. Yeah, I like, I like doing angel evocations in group because you feel like it can't go wrong. I mean, you know, a lot of people get uptight about demons and stuff. Totally. And they're they're very on the letter. I think you get what you expect out of a demon. And out of an angel, it's it's more open-ended. But you feel more comfortable about asking for, like, big life changes, right? So if you want something significant to happen in your life, you know, this guy's a professional. He's going to take longer to do it. Yeah. But you're going to get... You're going to be happier with the result. But uh, I... I really enjoy doing angel evocations, and just like any evocation, sometimes you get phenomena that happen, and sometimes you don't. <laughs> and usually underwhelming phenomena, right? For yes. those with expectations, they might have been I would expecting say. I would say. I would say, you know, it probably... Small little signs. It probably depends on the environment, because, like, I had one one time that I didn't think it would be anything special. We walked out into the back of these people's property, and we did an angelic evocation. But we had a really weird phenomena happen in the middle of it. And it okay. was that the rain coming off of the trees started dropping in like these heavy globs into what seemed like footsteps. And then it came from far away and then it came right up to the edge of the circle. And it, it fell, like you could tell it was just rain falling from the trees. You guys were outdoors, right? You guys yeah. weren't indoors or? We were outside, yeah. Okay. So but you it guys came, heard it coming very close then. Yeah, it came from probably like 15 feet away and the rain fell in a pattern which sounded like footsteps and it came up to the edge of the circle, like uncomfortably close, <laughs> and then stopped. Wow, that's fascinating, wow. And I find that to be a very good demonstration of what it's like to like experience phenomena during evocations. I don't really, you don't really get like people kicking on the side of the building or, well, you know, some well, sometimes bats flying into the building or anything like that. You did experience that with the Goetia though, right? Yeah, so sometimes. Like a, a bird flew into like uh, the shed the that shed I was bird. in. Yeah, I have a shed in the back of my house. And um, I, I physically, a, a bird physically flew into the shed. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, I guess I'll take that as a confirmation and the bird flew into the shed again. <laughs> it was pretty instantaneous, right? Upon you finishing, yes. asking for a sign, I recall. Yeah, yeah, I was asking for wisdom from this spirit, which I think was Cameo. And uh, I got the bird almost immediately and it scared me. And uh, they, they seem to work with that a little bit. Like they, they will generate feelings of, of being afraid. And... Mm. It's, but it's, it's cool, you know, it's like being at Halloween Horror Nights or something. It's, it's <laughs> but within the element. Less scary though. It's, know? yeah, it's, ne it never leads to like somebody kicking in the door and it's a, it's a demon with horns, you know, like Nothing it's not, no, it. it's never anything like that. But it, it almost is, almost has a, well, you know, it can be startling to hear that. It almost has like a, a beautiful sort of magicalness and wonder to it. It's got an unexplainable quality to it. Which is so intriguing to me. I find it so inspiring. It's like, wow, like how does this happen? Like well, I say that on me. I say that confidently because the bird is definitely an exception. And I have a story about that if you'd like to hear. But okay. within the shed, like I evoke frequently for wisdom or to just get to know a spirit. 
and it seems like a lot I get this phenomena of an animal starts to walk around the shed. Right. And this is at the crossway of four properties. So it's not like animals can just easily encroach upon this area. It's not like it's out in the wilderness. Right. But suddenly, like a possum or a small dog will start moving around the shed very slowly and very deliberately while I'm doing the evocation. And I spend a lot of time in the shed, so I know it's not normal. But when I'll evoke the spirit, the, the goetia, I'll have this happen a lot. Like yeah. that you get a, a physical being moving around and then it'll just go away. And you can't hear it go away and you can't hear it come in. So I, I find stuff like that to be really wonderful. I really mm -hmm. do. Even if it is a little unsettling, I find it to be really, really fascinating. These really do inspire me and give me sort of an excitement for life. Like, wow, like... This is so far from the mundane. Yeah, these like, spirits really it. do interact with us. And like, like I think those stories show you that like you have these conceptions about how the spirits interact or how demons go, you know, and appear. <laughs> but the reality of it is, is very mundane. And it's, it's kind of unsettling, but, but it's really not crazy. Mundane relative to common expectations, however, are more interesting and far from mundane relative to our daily mundanes. Exactly. Yeah. Like, it's definitely unsettling, it's definitely unnatural, however, it's not like it's horrifying. You know, it's something that makes you wonder and go, wow, that was a really rewarding experience. <laughs> I, I'm, uh, I'm writing down ideas that I have as you talk, um, if, you know, just to explain what's going on here. Um, uh, you mentioned you had a story. Yes, I would love to hear it. Okay, so I have this mentee, and I've kind of, I've kind of taught her what I'm familiar with and what I know. You, you said a what now? Sorry, a mentee, somebody you're mentoring. Yes, cool. And so what we've started doing is like tandem rituals, right? So we'll do rituals at the exact same time, and then kind of just blindly send each other notes of how the ritual went. And we found that a lot of the time, the subjective experiences that we have during these rituals will line up perfectly. I mean, enough to be scary, like where there's Whoa. more things in common than things that are not in common okay. on a, on a astounding degree, which is really fun. may not be that way every time, but for us it works that way and, and I really enjoy it. Okay. So anyways, we were putting out our intention that we're going to do a ritual with one of the Goetic spirits, which was Grimmery. And we planned it out. We were going to do it at 8 p.m. on Wednesday or whatever. Not recently, but sometime. Okay. So anyways, we're sitting around and we both agree, let's move it to 8.30 because we're just still working into getting outside. So anyways, at 8 o'clock, we have something very unusual happen that we text each other about. Okay. I had a bird run into my living room window. So you have another one of these situations where a bird runs into a house again, right? <laughs> cool. A bird yeah. runs into my living room window, and I text her about it probably 10 minutes later. And I said, it was so weird, this bird ran into my living room window. And she texts me back at like another 10 minute interval, and she says, oh my god, are you serious? I had the living room window open and a bird flew into the house and we just spent the last 15 minutes trying to get it out. And I said, Whoa. what a you coincidence. You guys had a crow, or you said it was a crow. Just a bird. Just no, a bird. not a crow, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, I don't know which one it was flying into my house. But you guys both had a, I guess I was thinking crow because you mentioned crows are a significant Oh yeah, too. I love crows. Yeah, 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 you mentioned that the other night. but. 
Wow, you had a bird basically attracted to both of you guys. You just happened to have uh, your window closed and hers was open. It, it basically happened within the same five minutes, which was like right at eight o'clock or within five minutes of eight o'clock, eight to 8.05. We both had a bird fly into our living room window. And I thought- In the living room, specifically. Yeah, specifically living room. <laughs> and I just, I found that astounding. I loved it. And I was like, we better get out there and do this ritual. Wow. Oh, that's, oh. Because we moved it from 8 to 8.30. And at 8 o'clock, we both had a bird. That's a sign that you guys better get on it, the time that you originally agreed on. It seemed like. be going with that. It seemed like the spirit was a little upset. Like, come on, let's let's get this. Come on, guys. You initially said 8. Come on. What are you Yeah, you said 8. I'm here at 8. I got a busy schedule. I got other people trying to summon me. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, and I don't don't know exactly why it happened. Like, I don't understand the mechanisms, but that spirit apparently wanted us to go out there and and get in the shed because at 8 o'clock, it sent a bird flying into both of our living room windows, except one of them happened to be open. That's so cool, my friend, <laughs> dude. I wonder if there's significance to one of you guys' windows being closed and another's being open, too. I don't know. But I suppose that's something just to, uh, to speculate about. But that's so cool, man. I think it's so fascinating. It, it is. It does seem to be symbolic. I don't know. You know, like one is the oh, or, the learner oh, and one is the, the yes. teacher. Yeah, I was wondering because I wasn't attributing any, like, I wasn't assigning any significance to it. But... It's worth it's worth it's worth considering. I think so. Maybe there's more uh, more than just like oh mine just happened to be closed and theirs is open. There might be more significant. I don't know. Symbolic, yeah, but. I I I feel like those are good examples though. Like yeah, those are situations where it's like yes, it means something, but are we reading too much into it? <laughs> you know, the stuff that is very obvious and undeniable. Those are the stuff you can definitely be sure about. Exactly. Everything else, the stuff that are a little bit more like. They're more like questionable, like you know, like what I what I just mentioned uh, with the windows. Um, that's more for speculation. Yeah, the bird is fun, but but the the fact that, that what happened though, that's very undeniable with the bird. Yeah, it's fun. It's, it's really it's really fun stuff like that that I live for. I wanna I wanna see coincidences like that, and it's, and that goes back to like the idea about it's the manipulation of coincidence, and if you see things that are extremely high coincidences that chance just wouldn't produce like that. Oh yeah. That kind you of deny signifies that. that that spiritual realm interacting. I'm with you there. I can't picture that ever just randomly happening. That is that is something magical. I think so too. To deny that, you'd really have to be like obstinate about it, you know? That's the thing is that um, some people are convinced that coincidence is coincidence and no matter what you throw at them, they're going to say, well, it just happened to be a coincidence that That's way. That's just obstinance there. But I think, I think even when you would, would like, you, you can't quantify the things that you've experienced in your life into yeah. statistical data. And even if you did, those people would still say it's just a coincidence that number is higher than average, that you would experience a number of coincidences like this. And so I think when you get into it like that, you know, it's a certain, how do I say this? An interaction of consciousness and spirituality can only happen through the lens of consciousness. You can't test for it and you can't study it without being an alive, conscious organism. Mm -hmm. And I I don't know if science will ever be able to totally understand this kind of thing. I don't think science is the way to measure this. It's just experiential. 
I think the only way they can do it is to piggyback on top of consciousnesses that already exist. Mm. Uh, what do you mean? Okay, so within science, right, we have um, a tendency to not involve bias. So the observer doesn't want to be involved too heavily in the experiment right. because of a potential bias. However, I think that when we get into consciousness technology and consciousness research, that's, that's part of being alive and part of being human, and it's going to be a part of what you need to study, is a person's biases or unbiases. Mm -hmm. And so you've got to get the whole human being when you're looking at consciousness research or, or studying, what, are the, what is it called? Not supernatural, but uh, supranatural events. Okay. Or things that appear to be more than just what we're readily experiencing. Mm -hmm. We've got to be able to acknowledge the entire human being instead of trying to remove the influence of the entire human being oh, out of these experiments. Right. I, I suppose the purpose is to be able to really narrow down objective truths, but... You want to acknowledge objective truths by removing the observer from it. Right, exactly. And all other variables, uh, exactly. as many variables as possible, so you can really hone in on what you're specifically looking for. Right. And in doing so, I feel like we are ignoring the idea of what happens when a human is observing something that's spiritually significant to them mm -hmm. over a 10-year period. That's just not something we can measure. Do you think we'll ever be able to? Yeah, I think so, eventually. Yeah, sure. That's just really right cool. now, it's kind of like a weird I, I think, thing. yeah. Just things that we experience, like, for example, like through meditation, like, just these inner experiences that you're having, like, how can science uh, measure what you subjectively are experiencing, right? I feel exactly. Like there, I do feel like there are some things that science just can't touch. They can they can touch certain aspects and variables, like they can measure your brain waves, mm -hmm. but that's not telling. That's only showing one dimension, one facet yeah. of this experience. They can only measure the external effects of what we're experiencing. But to me, it seems like they they often treat that as though that's like what they're observing are the only facets that exist. Yeah, I completely right. agree. Yeah. I think there are... Which I feel like that's where science is a bit lacking. It's limited. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. There, there are invisible threads, you know, from your meditation on something that is significant and, you know, seeing a flock of crows in a place that they shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. There's no experiment which is going to quantify that at all. No, not at all. But if this keeps happening to you every single day and it goes way beyond chance and way beyond coincidence, you can't test for it. It's not something that you can do a controlled study on. Mm -hmm. But it's a phenomena, in my opinion, and yeah. it's something that really is happening. And the mechanism of which is just so invisible that it's not perceptible to us. Mm -hmm. People who might be very scientifically minded. I have a few friends that I talk to that are very yeah. scientifically minded. I, I often feel like I can't talk about this kind of stuff and I feel like I have to word it in a very specific way because uh, otherwise they might completely just discount it. Dismiss it, yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. I feel like if you're a scientist and you're, or, you know, you have a scientific philosophy or mindset, if you're dismissing things outright or you're finding things to dismiss, you're really not doing yourself any favors. Mm. Because, you know, when Isaac Newton was coming up with algebra and his theory of gravity, people were dismissing him too and said, well, this doesn't fit into the current theory and this doesn't fit into the current <laughs> body of research that we've uncovered. Are you saying that our research is invalid? Mm -hmm. But he was right. Yeah. And he would have never found out that he was right unless he just went against the grain of things that had already been dismissed. 
And I, I see that as, uh, well, I guess where we're at right now, this is the same thing, you know? It's just more advanced. The theory of gravity was not accepted, or not his way of looking at it. Mm-hmm. But everybody knew that gravity existed, but they didn't think it could be explained, and so he had to come up with a new mathematical system to try to explain it. Mm-hmm. Gravity came up with algebra. Gravity is still not fully ex- understood. No, not people really. Have, people have their <laughs> theories about what gravity <laughs> right. is. Like people are still talking about like what gravity really is, and people are like, yeah, what we've been told, gravity isn't really that. It's a wave. That's <laughs> like, oh, I don't, I don't understand it, but I, I, don't I know under- it has something to do with quantum physics. Like they're going into that realm. I don't understand how it's a wave either, but you know what? I can look at it and I can wrap my head around it and say, okay, well, if we can observe that it's a wave sometimes, then it is. I mean. I can attempt to understand it, but I uh, but I'm, I'm not, I don't understand any of that. I don't understand it much. At all. When people observe gravity being a wave, it's not like you jump out and say, <laughs> it's not a wave because we understood it previously and it was not a wave. And that's the end all be all of that. It's you, you can't observe it mm. because I've observed it as being something else. That's where it starts to be like, okay, well, that's not scientific at all. We're observing something happening. Can we observe or explain or get into the mechanisms of why it's happening this way? Right. And there's, I think, just no model right now which factors in consciousness as being part of the equation. And yet it still is this elusive and, and long-running mystery of how consciousness interacts with the universe around it. And yet it's so important. Yeah. And I think one of the greatest proofs of this is near-death experiences. Ah, uh, yeah. How can we have near-death experiences where we recount information that we don't know after our death, survive way longer than we should be able to when we're brain dead, and have immense amounts of just reconcilable information yeah. upon our return to life and our, you know, coming back from brain death? A, transform- a transformative experience a lot of the time, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, they become spiritual, uh, usually <laughs> as a result of this. For sure, for But sure. just the idea, like the classic near-death experience, which is that they die on the operating table, they have a ton of information that they collect and they come back and they can recount all of it. Yeah. How? They were brain dead. They shouldn't have been able to have these experiences, much less process them. Right. So I think there's something there and to discredit it right now is to be really silly. To try I, to dismiss it yeah. is to be nearsighted and not at all scientific. Close-minded and uh, perhaps even foolish. Mm. I would say. What we do right now, no, I feel like it's really like barely scratching the surface. Oh, it's yeah. so elementary still, even the most advanced stuff we have right now, which to me is exciting. It's like, oh, there's so much more to learn. Uh, we, oh, haven't, we haven't figured it all out yet. You know? I, I think so too. Uh, there's this idea that we've kind of reached the, the end of human knowledge and that we're only gonna just like barely scrape by to make space flight or something, but I don't think that's even remotely true. I think we are just getting to the point where like a teenager just slightly becomes confident in their own abilities and they say, <laughs> I kind of know what I'm doing. I've just learned to drive. Yeah, yeah. Like we're just at that point where we've just kind of got wow. our own license and we're like driving on our own and we're like, we can sustain a civilization, a global civilization, mm-hmm. can't we? Can't we? Yes, we can. But we have no idea what's coming in but, the next five years, you know, or wow, 50 or 500. I mean, there's a lot of other uh, things to weigh in when we're talking about technological advancement. There oh. might be things that might get in the way, such as, you know, just our destruction of the earth. Yep. It's happening, which is tragic. Yeah, um, we're, we're technologically too advanced, and we just don't know what to do with it. But another thing I feel like is 
a significant thing that we haven't acknowledged yet is the internet. We invented instant wireless communication all across the globe at any yeah. time, ever. And we just haven't acknowledged it as being the progression of a species as, as much as we really should. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, you can communicate mm-hmm. with somebody in the middle of China right yeah. now, instantaneously, yeah. without question. And uh, we just haven't acknowledged that as, as being really influential to our lives beyond, like, a novelty. You know, mm-hmm. we all consider it to be, like, a novelty. Oh, well, like, yeah, there's people on the internet. People are on Twitter. and it's so, it's, so, <laughs> it's so normal, it's easier to overlook it, but it exactly. really is quite amazing. It really, like, in the history, think about it, in the yeah. history of the human species, mm-hmm. what is one of the most defining moments where... Some invention has changed the way the world works. Really, it was uh, like late 90s or mid 90s, maybe that internet emerged. Yeah. So it's only been like a little over two decades. Yeah. Um, but I mean, as far as inventions that changed the way the entire human species, the entire Earth operated, yeah. It's hard to say that there's been a larger invention besides the internet mm. that changed that. I mean, we've had entire revolutions, uh, like the Arab Spring, based off of social media. What, what is that, sir? Arab Spring? Yeah. So, there's, you should look into this. This is really interesting, especially Facebook's role in revolutions. But because some nations only have access to Facebook as a default on their phones, you've had, like, Facebook orchestrated revolutions in nations uh, cool. and the role of Twitter in Arab Spring and being able to communicate instantaneously with people's movements for liberation from their authoritarian governments like Twitter has been an invaluable resource Wow, I've heard a lot of people saying that they get their news from Twitter spreading news through that sharing it in sort of a way of trying to let truth triumph over uh, false information yeah, kind of the natural selection of information. Mm-hmm. That's something I really love about, um, especially more recent times, maybe not even a decade, of just people speaking out against a lot of things, you know? Um, and this goes over quite a wide range of topics. Um, for example, with relationships, you know, and people talking about like calling out and making more uh, common knowledge what, what is abusive, you know, what is not cool, stuff that we overlooked in the past. That's one example, something I, I think about frequently. Really like calling out stuff that has been overlooked so much in the past and stuff that has been able to fly under the radar, you know? Spreading false information, just doing very unjust things, like so much corruption being kind of like just being called out now. Well, yeah. yeah which I love. I mean, it's, it's crazy though, because when you think about like 30 or 40 years ago, somebody had to write somebody in another nation and say, hey, please go present this letter to them and please get them to take it seriously. There's something going on that's really not right here. And nowadays it's just like, just post a video on Twitter. <laughs> I love that. And it's easy to take it for granted, especially if you grow up into it. I was born in 97, you said 94, 95? Three, 93. 93. Uh, 93, yeah, wow. So you're like, Four years older, like roughly. You had internet your whole life, or? No, I remember seeing the rise of like AOL dial-up internet when I was, I don't know, maybe five or six or something. I mean, my entire life has been basically watching the internet become more and more powerful. I I was born right before it became a thing. (laughs) 
right? It seems like five or six tends to be like when we start to really remember things, right? Like roughly around there, around five. Yeah, I, I remember running around the neighborhood and stuff, but I also, I, it must have been from like five to seven that I remember AOL internet being a thing and I could go on the computer and just search anything. That's so cool, right? My early experiences with a computer, I was living in Macon, Georgia, and we had this little room with a, a computer, and I, I don't know, I, my parents probably didn't even say it was cool that I use it, but I I didn't see anything explicit on there, it was all pretty safe, but I, I would just like look up stuff I was fascinated with. My parents would find me early in the morning, already in this room, just looking up stuff on the internet. and. Um, they're probably a little concerned, but I, I'm, I'm, yeah, no, none of us could have known what it would become, you know. Oh my gosh, yeah, what it is now, it's oh my god, I wouldn't have been able to predict it. I rem- I remember one of my first internet memories was I had I had seen the movie Hellboy, and I went oh, yeah. I went on AOL dial-up internet and <laughs> I was like, is this true? Is there a Hellboy out there? I, it, I don't know, probably shaped my life, but you know, I saw help. I don't know if you remember, but at the beginning of Hellboy, <laughs> never seen it. There's like, oh, you ha- you should see it. It's okay. a great movie. Is it by Guillermo del Toro? Yeah, it is. Okay, but in the first Hellboy, there's like all these blurry pictures of Hellboy, like a Bigfoot, right? And it's, okay. that's the joke. But I was too young to understand the joke, so I went on the internet and I started searching, and I I said, is is Hellboy real? I want to see all these blurry pictures as well. Maybe there are people who know more oh, than I Oh, you thought he was a cryptid? Yes. <laughs> I thought Hellboy was a cryptid, and I went to go search for him on the internet. And uh, that, that probably changed my life. <laughs> wow. <laughs> no, well, then you found out there was a movie, and you saw the guy who played... Uh, Years later, yeah, I would find out that Hellboy is just a movie, and, and I didn't understand... Oh, the, I didn't understand... You realize it was a movie. I didn't under no I, I I understood it was a movie but I didn't understand the context of like presenting like they they presented it and said look at all these blurry pictures you know oh, like this this could be cool. a real thing and I thought maybe they made the movie off of this real cryptid or something oh I got I was, you. you know I was like Whoa, like eight man. years old and you so I went eight and this is your early fascinations with cryptids right so I started looking into that. all these paranormal things and I just you know I early exposure yeah. to blurry pictures of something <laughs> moving out there in New York City. I, I love I love seeing that your current day, you know, present day interests, uh, seeing how they trace back to your younger years, you know, like yeah. where they started. That's so cool to me. It's like, there's there's younger Justin, you know, like yep. his early fascinations with that stuff. Yep. I, first it was blurry pictures of Hellboy and then it was like, what is all this alien stuff? Oh, it was really, I better look into that. <laughs> The blurry pictures were actually censored. Hellboy was naked, so he just did. That's all. That's all that's, it was. It's, that's the trench coat, you know. <laughs> oh my god, dude. But yeah, Aliens is another good one. Maybe not tonight, but we should get into Aliens another night. Oh, absolutely. Bro, I mean, I'm happy to have more than uh, uh, repeats of the same guest, bro. I think Aliens are a really good topic. It's... Like I was talking about earlier, like, if they use consciousness technology, and I mean, come on. At this point, how many of us are really like, well, every single alien encounter in the last 100, 200, who knows how many years. Yeah. It's all just misinterpretations. Like that's obviously not true. Yeah. We've yeah. we've got we've got stuff we've recovered that's clearly from extraterrestrial solar systems, like physical materials. We photograph it all the time. And I, I'm aware there's an argument of like, why don't we photograph it as much as we used to? But we still do a lot. We still mm-hmm. get really convincing photographs all the time and encounters. Oh. I don't know why abductions are 
down, but you know, we, we have enough to be like, oh, okay, well, there's there's things out there that are flying around, you know? Like, um, what's the uh, Nimitz encounter with Fravor, that Tic Tac, the Pentagon videos? You seen I'm the Pentagon not videos? I'm familiar with it. You haven't seen it? I'm so underinformed with all You're this. You're a podcaster and you haven't heard of the Pentagon videos of the UFOs? I'm on the third episode, bro. Listen. <laughs> Listen to me. No, yeah, I should know about this. You should, because one of them was recorded off the coast, just here. It's the Go Fast video. Off the coast of Florida, right? Yes, off Jacksonville. Jacksonville, Like, no doubt, either Mayport or NAS, and probably NAS recorded it. And it's one of the released Pentagon videos of UFOs. But um, Yeah, it happened right off the coast, right here. But when was this, sir? Uh, I'm not sure exactly when. I think it was, like, 2015. 2015. Look up Go Fast video on Fast. the internet. I'll gladly look it up yeah. right now while you talk. Yeah, you can look it up. There's like, there's probably a million results. And it's all the same video. So we're looking at it right now. Yeah, um, there's, there's a lot to I'm it if you get brains. into it. But basically it was released by the Pentagon as this is something that we have no idea what it is. This looks like the surface of the moon or something like well No, that's the ocean. Oh, I may be I may no, be yeah, wrong. Yeah, it it may like not that. be the go fast video if this is what the go fast video is. But this is one of the videos. A little underwhelming at the moment. This is the one that David Fravor captured on whatever system in his airplane when they were tracking down that thing. The white tic tac. The white tic tac is what they're calling it. Oh yeah. You looked up go fast video? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go back up and look up UFO Pentagon videos. Okay. Oh, that <laughs> There's the go fast yep. right there. I see it. Yep. I'm a little drunk right now. I'm noticing. No, me too. I, it's hard. I, I probably need to chill with this corona. They all get lumped together. Right I don't know if I'm wrong about the name, but I, I recognize all of them visually. This is the one that was shot off the coast of Jacksonville, Florida. What is that? And if you're listening, it's the one of the saucer looking shape that tilts and then later shoots off to the left. So I guess this should be like looked at like Look this, at right? that thing, it's rotating. Whoa. Yeah, isn't that crazy? And then there's the go fast video. Oh yeah, oh I see the little white Tic Tac. Yeah. Oh, I got it. Yeah, that one. Dude, what could that, that could be like a bird though. It's not a bird. Well, I guess it's going a little fast for it to be a bird, but it's going thousands. <laughs> okay, fair, fair. It's going really, really fast. No, none of the, the military could not quantify what, what these three videos were. Wow. I mean, I guess in, in the most literal sense, that is a UFO, right? It Unidentified is. flying object. It is indeed a UFO. Whether it is uh, something from another planet. For know. me, though, it's like, let's just put it on the stack of things that we can identify that are hovering around in the sky from another world, you know. This, the, this was at pretty low altitudes? Uh, yeah, the whole David Fravor case is really interesting. And there's if you look online, there's like tens of podcasts with them at this point. But yeah. it was years ago. I think it, I don't remember when it was, but it was like 2009 or something. Yeah. And they went out for this regular expedition. And they caught something on their radar, so they went to go look at it. And it turned out that this white tic-tac shape was floating around on the surface of the water going like this. Like in a cross. Wow. Left, right, up, down, and they saw this X underneath the surface of the water. So, Fravor was the officer on this flight, and he said, stay up here, circle it, I'm going to go down and get a look at it. And as he went in to go down, the craft noticed him, and yeah. it started mirroring his movements. And he couldn't 
basically get close to it because it was smearing his movements. And then it showed some degree of intelligence. Though. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there wow. was no question about it. This is this is a spacecraft which is like moving around at exceptionally high speed, mirroring their movements, everything. They tracked it, they, they caught it on their, um, I don't remember what it's called, LIDAR or something. Mm -hmm. But they ended up capturing it and being able to track it for a little while and then it would just make huge, incredible jumps. I think they only tracked it for a little while when they first encountered it, and then it jumped and it showed up 60 miles somewhere else. Oh my god. Yeah, it's crazy. Oh, wow. So, um, some of the stuff I wrote down. I wanted to tell a little story about what happened after a ritual. This is definitely backtracking a little okay. bit. But there was one event where it was me, you, Amanda, and possibly Jason. This, yeah, this is back in 2019. So we were at Memorial Park. We did an angel summoning and afterwards something very fascinating happened. I don't know what you and whoever else it was, I think it was Jason, but we're doing, but me and Amanda, we walked on, we were walking down the street past Black Sheep. You know how Black Sheep is kind of like yeah. it's a wedge on the corner. Instead of going like kind of down Park Street, we were going on the other way, the more of the darker, less populated uh, route. Walking down there, near Black Sheep, there was like a crowd of people and Amanda and I were walking on the sidewalk and these people were kind of in the sidewalk, we were trying to get past them. And as we're walking past, both me and Amanda, we hear them saying, Daniel and Joseph. They just say that. And also, what I remember is somebody looked at me in a very strange way. Kind of like smiled, nodded, you know, like a little greeting, you know, like, you know, as I was hearing that in that short little period of time that we were passing. And that was so strange. I was like, yo, Amanda, what the hell? Did you hear that? My first name is Daniel, my middle name is Joseph. So it could be reference to that, or it could be reference to uh, Joseph, who was a, a person in our friend group. Mm -hmm. I, I've had like a little bit of personal triggers uh, with him. So he's had some significance in my life. That could have also been a prediction of that. I've had weird encounters with the angel rituals too. We did a ritual, I think in the same spot, in Memorial Park, and uh, this was years ago. But during the ritual, I dropped my Shimhemi Forash necklace, which has the verse that the 72 angels are recounted from. Mm -hmm. And I dropped it into the grass, and so I took my friend home later at like 1 a.m., and I had to come back, and it was like 3.30 a.m. before I returned. Mm -hmm. And I went into the middle of the circle at Memorial Park because there's a big circle of grass and then at one end of the park Right by the river. There's the angel on top of the globe And I, I walked out into the grass and I thought oh, this is gonna be strange And I looked over and I saw there was a person standing directly below the angel on the globe statue And they had long hair and they were perfectly silhouetted. I couldn't see anything about them, but they were silhouetted Whoa and so I thought, oh, they're going to think I'm super weird out here with the flashlight in the middle of the circle. And anyway, so I went out to the middle of the grass circle and I was searching for my Shimhemi four-ash necklace. And eventually I found it and I was keeping an eye on this person. I was like looking over every couple of seconds because I thought it was really weird that at 4 a.m. somebody is standing <laughs> out like directly below the statue. I pull up the necklace. I, I find it eventually. And I pull it up and I look over at the person and they're gone. And they're not moving out of the park. And you know about Memorial Park, you can look and basically see the entire park and whether somebody's leaving or coming in. The time that you 
were looking away before you ended up looking back, that wouldn't have been enough time for them to fully vacate it. Right? No. You would have ended up seeing them. No, because I was really nervous and I was checking every couple of seconds. Right, yeah. And so it must, I mean, I think at most it must have been five seconds before I looked. It's not enough time. You not enough time. I should, like, I looked up and I immediately panicked because I knew I should have been able to see them leaving the park. But I just thought it was funny, the, the circumstances and the coincidence of, you know, we're doing like an angelic ritual, I come back later and there's somebody silhouetted. I and they're see perfectly at silhouetted. All. Yes, couldn't what? see any couldn't detail. Couldn't make out any face or anything? Nothing. And uh, it was enough to leave me feeling uncomfortable, but, but kind of relieved because as soon as I found that necklace, they were gone. That's just so inspiring to me to hear. Well, I hear about that a lot though. When you do angelic rituals that you have these yeah. weird, like real tangible things that happen afterward. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I remember after the uh, ritual I, I was mentioning, I was in a very interesting state. Like I felt like I was like expecting some sort of miracle. I felt like connected to God or whatever you want to call mm -hmm. it, right? To divine beings or forces outside of the material world. And I was feeling like I almost had like power. I had the power to like summon things. Like, you know, like the little eagle, st eagle statues at, you know, on the corners of... Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I felt like I felt like I had the power if I really believed that I could look at those statues and they would move and turn toward me. I felt like I had the power to like summon that the power or, of creation. Yeah, I felt like I almost <laughs> in which scared me. I actually yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was feeling that and I, I felt that a decent bit throughout my life, just like like I have that power to make something happen if I really have the faith. Those rituals really do something. I mean, even if it is psychological or just conscious, yeah. that's it. That's all it is. They really do something for you. Like there's something that gets triggered in the human psyche when something you do a happens. group spiritual, mystical ritual. There's something that happens. And if you haven't experienced it, it's something that you need to experience at least once in your life. Right. And leaving, leaving Memorial Park, you know, I was, I was, I was looking at the statues like, I was like almost scared. I'm like, oh, dude, if, if that thing moves out of my faith, I will fucking freak out. I was like so scared. I was like, okay. So, I, But I was leaving that ritual. I was expecting something. I was like, something's going to happen. And we don't get far because, you know, Black Sheep is pretty yeah. close. Yeah, it's super close. From, to Memorial. So that happens. I, I guess you and whoever else, I don't know what you guys are doing. I don't know if we we're going to meet later or I don't know. But Amanda and I, we were walking. And yeah, that happens. Somebody says, Daniel Joseph, someone looks at me almost like they know me. Almost like, not literally winking, but kind of winking, like we know, I know something. We should do another one. Yes, I would love to. <laughs> the way the person, the way person, the person looked at me and smiled, like, hey, how are you doing? Like, you know, just kind of like a brief little gesture, was almost like a wink, like, like almost like an angel speaking through that guy. What a coincidence. Yes, and more or less at the same time, somebody saying Daniel and Joseph in their conversation. And I was just like, what the fuck? Like, that's a sign. All right. Yeah. Before we shoot another episode, yes. we should do a couple of rituals. And <laughs> Give us some stuff to talk about. I maybe. agree. Let me check, actually, like how far along we are. I don't know. I think maybe we should wrap it up. We're almost like two hours in. Yeah, Jesus. Okay. I don't know how long you usually go, but... An hour and a half is probably my cap. So. Yeah. 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 <laughs> this has been sick though, my friend. Um, yeah, this is really fun. I've, I've had a good time. Yeah, I've enjoyed this, man. Um, I will say, um, we will, I would love to do some rituals with you, my friend. And yeah. Let's do some angel rituals and we'll get back on here and tell everybody about them. <laughs> Absolutely. So what do you think about this whole conversation? 
That was fascinating, man, and awesome, man. I'm glad I got to share some things. I'm glad I got to hear, like, as always, it seems, like, just more new stuff from you. You definitely seem to have an abundance of uh, really cool things to talk about, uh, both experiential and just knowledge gathered through research. I just like weird stuff. I, I always have, and pursuing those things, I think, is the key difference. Like. If there is something weird out there, I want to know what it is, and I don't want to—I don't want to lie to myself about what it is, because there's a lot of people out there that will just lie to themselves about it and mm -hmm. say, "Well, you know, if I can make it up, then it's good enough." <laughs> but no, I, if there's weird stuff, I want to know yeah. that it's real. Yeah, that's that's my story. That's awesome, man. Hey, dude, yeah, it's been awesome having you on here. We'll definitely do it another episode. Thank you. Yeah, we definitely should. This this has been fun. I'm, I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to talk. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks, Justin. Well, cool, man. Here's a, a, a not, not actual goodbye just for the sake of the podcast. All right, dude. Good yeah. talking to you. Bye. Another time. Another time. See you another All time. All right. Bro. See you later. All right. Later, bro. <laughs> and cut. Well, that's the end of the episode. How did you feel about it? Let me know by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or even through a comment or DM on Instagram at rematmos that is r-e-m-a-t-m-o-s i'd love to hear from you also i'd like to say thanks for bearing through the mediocre recording quality we were using a single mic in an untreated room i should have foam on my walls in the near future anyways thank you for listening until next time <laughs>